Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Good morning, Bucknuts. It is Thursday, February 6, 2020. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning 5 and Change. Coming to you from an overcast gray gem city. That must mean it's Steve Weltfong Day. The director of recruiting for 24-7 Sports is here. Bleary-eyed and ready to go after National Signing Day. Steve, how goes it? Good morning, Daniel. It is 26 degrees. There's a dusting of white snow on the ground. It is cold. The roads are slick. And I'm sending that down I-70 towards Columbus through Dayton. Nothing new for us. It's going to be 70 degrees or snowing. Um, Hades on Earth. Speaking of Nirvana on Earth, yesterday was National Signing Day. Maybe... Not what it's been in years past, given the change in schedule. But that did not mean Steve Wolfong could avoid a trip to Nashville, to headquarters, to be on TV and be an Internet star. The day is done. Ohio State really about the most anticlimactic national signing day in school history that I can remember. Cameron Martinez put pen to paper, but we knew that was going to happen. Ohio State finished with the fifth-rated recruiting class. What do we need to know about yesterday when it comes to the Buckeye Steve? put things in perspective as the cycle has officially come to a close. Well, I think that Ohio State was able to obviously get all their work done in the early signing period with the exception of Cameron Martinez, who would have signed if there wasn't uh, a coaching change at his position. And, and those are the type of, you know, Ohio State was able to, all the guys that they were recruiting were, were guys that were December guys and, and they put pen to paper and, it was just another day at the office inside the Woody, uh, I think, and most of the action was down in the uh, Southeastern Conference. Yes, of which we are versed here at 24-7 Sports. You can check out all that coverage on all the sites with your free access. When you look back at the Buckeyes' recruiting class and what you expected out of Ryan Day, really it's his first class, all him, no her, how would you grade the coach? I thought Coach Day uh, and, and his staff kept the standard of, of the Urban Meyer regime of recruiting blue chippers and, and, and recruiting one of the top classes in the country. Uh, for me, it was a wait and see on how that was going to fare. And I think that the, the recruiting battle where I knew that Ohio State and this staff was going to have the same recruiting chops, not that I doubted it, but you gotta you got to see proof, right? that they had the same recruiting chops as the last regime was Julian Fleming. And that was a heavyweight battle. Everyone was in there. Uh, Ohio State led. They didn't lead. They led. They didn't lead. And they got him. And, and those are the recruitments that show me that you can go toe-to-toe with anyone and, and get it done. And they did it with other prospects in the cycle as well. You know, Lathan Ransom was a was a big recruiting win as well. That was one that they had to – you know, really battle for um, this cycle as I kind of scroll through the class. Those might have been the 
the two that were maybe the most challenging. Um, Paris Johnson Jr., they had to weather some storms of visits after he committed. Um, and, and I do think that he liked some of those SEC schools, but, you know, obviously he loved Ohio State and, and stuck. Um, I, I think this is a class that obviously was evaluated extremely well, uh, but that's always been the case, you know, starting with Mark Pantone and, and his staff and the assistant coaches and the head guy. And this is a class that really fits the culture uh, of what they've already built. I mean, so they know what they're looking for uh, regarding personalities uh, when when they go out and recruit. And and you guys have heard me say before, even with some prospects that, that Ohio State didn't land, that, the, that I can tell that that's a young man that's a locker room fit. And, and sometimes some of the blue chippers aren't, but you don't see Ohio State pushing for those young men either. So I, I think that they got their kind of guy in this class across the board. And, and um, obviously the story's on offense. Ohio State's been one of the more potent offenses in the country since Ryan Day got there. This is a class, This is a reload class at quarterback, receiver, uh, and on the offensive line. And, and, and we'll see how Mayan Williams fares in the backfield, uh, the kid they flipped from Iowa State who was obviously extremely productive in high school. I like Mayan Williams, um, but he's a guy that obviously was one of the few non-blue chippers uh, in this class. And then defensively, a lot of speed, uh, some pass rush ability with guys like Mitchell Belton. And uh, so uh, one of the best classes in the country and one that will continue to keep Ohio State in the title hunt. One might wonder how Steve Wolfong ascended to director of recruiting for 24-7 sports. You've heard his knowledge here. It could be his 94% hit rate on the crystal ball during the class of 2020 cycle, but it's also his versatility. If you listened to this show nine months ago, you got a prediction from Steve Wolfong that this will be Mark D'Antonio's last season at Michigan State and that Luke Fickle could be the possible successor. One down, what made you think about D'Antonio in that way? Where do you feel the program is going to go now? And do you think Michigan State is in a position where the right coach could come in there and really challenge the Buckeyes on the recruiting trail? Well, I made the prediction for Coach D'Antonio because I thought that once he became Michigan State's all-time wins leader, that that would be the time when he would opt to retire and pass the reins. And I, and I think that he's always wanted to pass it on to Coach uh, Mike Tressel. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the – the the final hire, um, but he's obviously the acting head coach right now. And I think when they were in the thick of their double-digit win, like four out of five campaign um, run, that that was always the vision. Um, maybe not because Narduzzi was on the staff then too. I don't know. I, but I think at the end, Trestle was kind of the guy that D'Antonio would have loved to see be his successor. Um, obviously, Luke Fickle would be the slam dunk hire. If I'm Luke Fickle... I don't know if I would take it, though. Um, he, he's got a great team coming back at Cincinnati this this coming season. I mean, they, they return like 19, 20 starters. They're bringing in the best group of five recruiting class in America. Um, I mean, it's a better class than Michigan State's class. And uh, um, it, it's, it, it's a uh, – We've seen Brian Kelly go from Cincinnati to Notre Dame. Um, you can – I think Luke Fickle, I think the football team that they're going to have next year, they're the favorite to play in the New Year's Six Bowl coming into the season, that 
he could get something that's a little easier. Michigan State's a tough job. Um, now, Mark D'Antonio proved that you can do it, and uh, um, I think Fickle would be up for that challenge. Um, but I think that there's uh, other jobs that um, getting to the crystal ball would be easier or getting to the college football playoff the way the deck stacked would be easier and, and Coach Fickle would maybe be a candidate for a job like that down the road. You know, I could see when Brian Kelly retires, Luke Fickle being a name in the mix for Notre Dame if his career stayed on the same trajectory that it is right now. Um, um, but he would be terrific, you know, uh, some of the same, um, coaching, um, emphasis as D'Antonio being a defensive guy coming from Ohio state in, in the roots and him being part of that championship caliber program. Um, uh, he'd be terrific. That'd be target number one for me if I'm Michigan State. Um, but if I'm Luke Fickle, I, I think I can wait. Um, but I don't know, man. Sometimes you start, you know, Mark D'Antonio was paid extremely well. And so sometimes that is like, look, I can make, I can make $20, 30000000 million over four or five seasons. And that's hard to say no to also, right? Um, but it would be you know, for Mark me. D'Antonio yeah, but Mark D'Antonio proved that you can be very successful there. Um, and they, when Ohio State was at their best, Michigan State was still tough as hell for them to play against. And, and you all know that, uh, I mean, I used to get kind of accused of being a Michigan State homer a few years ago on, on Bucknuts every once in a while, now that I switched to Penn State. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Just as, it's funny how that works, but that, you know, those are the pro- those were the programs that were kind of given Ohio State hell. Like you wouldn't pick Ohio State to lose, but you knew that they were going to have their hands full in that in that ball game. And um, um, you, you can point and say they didn't give the ball to Zeke, or whatever, in the one game, but the Spartans still walked out of there with the dub, right? And so um, it, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Michigan State's recruiting really fell off over the last couple cycles, especially on offense. I don't feel like they've recruited um, a lot of playmakers or a lot of guys that you would point to and say those are future NFL players where, you know, maybe Michigan State's offense was never like one that like you were like um, fearful of in a sense, but they had a lot of NFL guys. They had NFL quarterbacks. They had NFL offensive linemen. They had NFL running backs. Guys like Aaron Burbridge were good receivers. Um, They don't have those kind of guys right now on offense. And um, I, I was kind of, I talked about it on the Notorious B1G podcast yesterday that it's just uh, I'm, I'm, fine, I'm finding that I'm liking the trajectory of other Big Ten programs a lot more than, than Michigan State because of the current state of recruiting on offense. They're still, they were still recruiting the same kind of guys on defense, high upside, uh, hard-nosed physical football players that were very productive in high school, but just offensively really was really worried about where the Spartans were going there and uh, being able to keep up with the way the Big Ten, the Big Ten's move, moving in the future. Probably because of Fickle and Cincinnati and their inability to recruit Ohio. There's no Le'Veon Bell. There's no B.J. Cunningham. They've lost talent on that side of the ball. There's no Connor Cook. I get Kirk Cousins is a Michigan kid, but I know but Kirk Cousins beat out Nick Foles. I mean, they had a stable of quarterbacks, you know what I mean? So, their overall depth of talent just isn't even close to where it was on offense. You're right about that. 
I mean, and you even look at, I mean, and like, look, it's not like Kirk Cousins was highly recruited. Like they did, they had some high, they had some really good evaluation wins. Um, But I feel like our, our, I feel like our industry has, has gotten more thorough and recruiting has gotten more thorough because of things like huddle. Um, And I just don't see that type of talent walking around in East Lansing right now. I mean, you look at a guy like Mayan Williams, that was a guy that I feel like three, four years ago would have been committed to Michigan State, not Iowa State. Doesn't mean Ohio State still wouldn't have flipped him, but those were the type of dudes that Michigan State was getting. It's a dirty little secret for Michigan and Michigan State. They're never good unless they do a good job in Ohio. Sounds like a good time to take a break. We'll be back and talk about an even better recruiter in Ohio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back. One of the staff members at Ohio State took home 24-7 sports' most glorious coaching honor. National Recruiter of the Year, shocker, Brian Hartline. Uh, We've sung his praises here ad nauseum. Steve, you wrote the article on Brian Hartline. Please tell us how you guys arrive at such an award or how you choose the final winner and then uh, what you thought of Brian Hartline after getting to spend a little time with him. Well, it's not arbitrary. It's all math. So he he landed the collectively the highest-ranked group of commitments among his peers across college football, and, and so he won. There was no roundtable discussion. Um, and uh, I do think that we should wait um, – the difficulty of of the recruiting and 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 also weight the evaluation, which then Heartline still would have won this cycle. Because let, let's start with the first commit, Jackson Smith Majigba. When he committed to Ohio State, he was a three star recruit, but he was a top of the board guy for the Buckeyes, a guy that they coveted at the position. And it's a, this is a great receiver class, but that they identified him um, um, and uh, offered and 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 kind of beat Notre Dame. I, I don't think that there was. I don't think Jackson was like the coveted guy in his state at the time, and he ended up be being the top-rated receiver uh, in the end. And uh, so that was the that's a big evaluation, getting out in front of everybody, knowing he was elite, knowing he fit Ohio State, getting him committed, and then the rest of us caught up and was like, man, this Jackson Smith Najibka is really damn good. Uh, and for me, it was seeing in Porch Allen uh, in the state playoffs as a junior and then looking at the rest of the body of the work from that year and, 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 and us saying, we got this guy underranked. And then seeing him at the uh, All-America Bowl, just how smooth and easy the game was for him, it was almost like not flashy at all. It was just so methodical uh, how he takes people apart. And then obviously had an epic senior year. Uh, all of a sudden, and maybe I just missed it as a junior, but you were just seeing him make so many tough catches look easy. And then at the All-America Bowl, he, he was one of the top four or five players on the field from a dominant standpoint. Um, uh, when you talk about Brian Brze, Will Anderson, Bryce Young, and, and Jackson Smith-Majigba, those four, no one could mess with them. They They dominated every rep. 
they they were they were on a different level than their peers um, in in, the, in that setting. And so, but when Ohio State was recruiting them and identified them early, three star. Uh, obviously, Julian Fleming and G. Scott were uh, coveted guys out the gate. Um, those were those were one. Julian Fleming in particular was a tough recruiting battle. We've talked about that some, numerous times on the show, uh, including earlier this one. They they went to war. They got him. Uh, and, a, and a lot of that was because no one did. Brian Hartline was the guy that Julian said recruited him the hardest. They FaceTimed a lot. They talked. Excuse me. They talked often. <coughs> excuse me again. And and I I really think that relationship was one of the differences, along with Brian Brian Hartline always pointing to it being a collective effort at Ohio State. You come into the building, Ryan Day's available. The culture is evident. You can tell if you fit in or not. He, he gave a lot of credit to his assistant, Keenan Bradley. He gave a lot of a credit to Mark Pantoni and his staff, not only for helping with the evaluations, but I think making all the visits and, and things be, be seamless uh, when, when guys like Julian Fleming get on campus. Uh, but, but he just genuinely loves getting to know his uh, top targets. He talked about helping Julian uh, through a breakup with his girlfriend, you know. So he's really getting to know these guys. G. Scott has some sort of uh, deal at his school um, where you have someone come in and, and speak on your behalf. And Brian Hartline and Keenan both went out there and, and did that. So those were the guys that uh, spoke spoke about G. out there in Washington State, and he thought that was he thought that was really cool. Uh, obviously. Uh, I think he didn't really go, touch on it at all, but I think it was a really tough senior year for Buki, and I would imagine that uh, Brian was one of the guys he leaned on to get through that. And obviously he helped recruit C.J. Stroud. He helped uh, recruit Cameron Martinez, so he got an assist on those guys. But he just loves being at Ohio State. I mean, he loves Ohio State. He played played four years of football there, helped them win four Big Ten championships. He's proud to be alumni of Ohio State. And uh, he wanted to get into coaching after his career and got the opportunity at the place he loves. And uh, he loves, you know, he loves sharing that he loves Ohio State with with others and, and wants people to love it the same way as him. And, he, and and more than anything, he wants these guys that he's recruiting to have the same experience that he had at Ohio State. He talked about getting the opportunity to play for Daryl Hazel for four years, and, and he said a lot of these. Kids that go to play college football now, they don't have the same position coach for four years. And he has no ambition to go elsewhere. I just think he wants to help uh, impact young men that go to Ohio State and, and make them the best football player they can be, the best receiver they can be, and the best person they can be. And he talked about how he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Daryl Hazel and the impact that Coach Hazel had on him in his four years that helped him turn into the man he is. He's now wanting to pay that forward. And, and and his goal is to be around all the guys that he signs for, for four years. And, you know, who knows, um, maybe down the road, uh, he, he, you know, he, his career, maybe he, he's the head coach at Ohio State at some point down the road. Now, we didn't talk about that yesterday, but I just don't see him. I don't see him working anywhere else. I just think he loves Ohio State and uh, wants to coach these guys up for four years and, and continue to have these strong relationships and make an impact on these young men. And the the impact already started on the trail and um, him signing the best receiver class uh, in, in quite some time. That was a wonderful summary of why Heartline is so excellent for the Buckeyes. 
the one thing I will add before we leave is my man is financially independent. So he is here by choice. And as my grandmother always said, rich or poor, it's nice to have money. So one of the main motivators for a young coach coming up to go out and get that big check just doesn't need it. And I put need in air quotes. Speaking of need, we need Steve Wolfong every Thursday. We appreciate him stopping by. Have a great one, Bucknutters. Thanks, guys. I know some of those answers were long-winded, so thanks for bearing with us today.